Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joshua. I was going to say hello, Joe. And then <laughs> you were going to say, hello, Joshua. I, I moved the thing to you so you can see the time. Oh, I you're so nice. <laughs> These old eyes, I can't see any of that shit. I know. It's so far away, too. <laughs> um, how are you doing? I'm here with you. I know. We're here again in the studio. We've been doing like a back and forth. Yeah. So this is our, our second time recording live in, 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 pers- in, in person. The, in the studio. Yes, it's uh, super lovely. I love I love seeing you, seeing you back over there, you know, doing your thing. I know. It's weird. It's strange. Um, what have you been up to? <laughs> you know, same old, you same You always old. ask me. I must uh, ask yeah. you. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, actually, yeah, I have a few things. Well, first, okay, so first I want to take a moment and um, thank... As always, our dear listeners, you know, who support us and they listen to us and they tell their friends about us. And I so appreciate that. And I want to give a special shout out to Shane, who sent us a very generous uh, tuition payment is how he is how we uh, put it, which I think is brilliant. And uh, we should change our all of our, our like tip stuff to like tuition. Yeah, tuition. <laughs> uh, but uh, just want to thank Shane. He's been a longtime listener and um you know, he's very supportive and I just, you know, it was very, very kind and generous. And so I want to thank him and all of our, you know, awesome listeners. So we, we so appreciate the support. So keeps us uh, talking in your earballs, as I like to say. So thank you. Thank you. So just a moment of gratitude. <sighs> Lovely. Um, <laughs> all right. So the other thing I have to talk about is... Um, Oh, I picked up this book of poetry that I had told you about, the I Am Not Your Final Girl by Claire C. Holland. And I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm working my way through it. I really want to reach out to her and see if she'll come and chat with us on the show. It is from 2017, so somehow I, I missed it <laughs> when it was uh, originally <laughs> released, sadly. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. you know, But it's a book of poetry that is all from... Um, just here let me just read the back follow your favorite final girls of horror film on a journey of mayhem and retribution from the white picket fences of 1970s Haddonfield to the apocalyptic end of the world as we know it watch as these vicious vixens slash and hack the creeps out of their way in a fight for survival and a better tomorrow for all of womankind they're sick and tired of being harassed abused and beaten down by the man they're not going to take it anymore so the whole book each poem is the name of a final girl from a horror film that we're all familiar with, that we all know. You know, we've got um, Rosemary in here, and we got Lori and Sally, uh, Ginger, Thomason. Um, I don't want to read all of them because I do, I, I really am going to reach out to her and see if she'll come and chat with us. Uh, Clarice, Carrie. So there's, uh, you know, a poem for each kind of from their perspective or about them. And then it's broken up into uh, different parts. So there's assault, possession, and transformation. And it's super cool. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, I think, is it um, Anne Sexton that did the uh, transformations poems where she took uh, fairy tales 
and retold them in her, you know, that lovely darkness that Anne Sexton uh, lived in, you know, uh, power recovered, anger recovered. Uh, so it's kind of, it reminds me a bit of that, sort of, you know, r- taking these, these uh, women that we have known for, you know, 30, 40 years, some of us, and uh, giving them, you know, a new voice. And so super excited. So I did kind of want to plug that a little bit, talk, you know, talk about that. Uh, and yeah, uh, we got to try to like get her to come on and read some poetry and talk to us about this project because it's super cool. The other, what else did I do? Um, oh, I tracked down a really cool uh, Blu-ray, new Blu-ray of Night of the Creeps, which we have not watched, but we're now going to watch it because I, I, I rewatched it this week and I was like, oh my gosh, I should show this to you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't even know. Like, I'm sure I could glean some value out of it to like talk about on the show, but I love night of the creeps it's it's one of those like schlocky 80s films that's like a you know an homage to the 50s but there's some smart stuff in it i think um you know it's fun uh a little queer uh you know if we go looking for it (laughs) as we are wont to do uh, so I did that. I also picked up a really neat coll- collector's like steel book of Pumpkinhead, which I I'm got that on dock. I I do think I want to do that for Halloween this year because we haven't we haven't yet touched Pumpkinhead, and you know he's another one of those figures in horror that uh, we got to discuss <laughs> that loom large. Yeah, yeah. You know, Lance <laughs> Henriksen's in it, and he's in everything. So yeah, I, there's something there. Uh, what's her name? My Mayim Mayim Bialik. Bialik. Yes, it's like her first film role. Again, we find she's a child in it, uh, literally. Like you know, uh, she's like eight or nine. She just plays some dirty kid uh, wandering about uh, with an, other dirty kids. Uh, I don't know uh, what they're doing exactly. I can't remember, but uh, I know she's in it. Uh, so again, proving my ongoing conversation about you know. Everybody gets their start, it seems, in horror somewhere. If you look at any any celebrity, any A-lister to Z-lister, you will find horror somewhere in there. In their, what's it, IMDb? In their IMDb. In their on, their, on their resume. On their resume. On the CV. Yes, yes. So that's kind of been my week. Uh, you know, looking forward to talking to you, you know? I just sat around all week waiting for you to show. No. <laughs> Uh, what's funny is that like I've only what it's been like two weeks now and I I feel like your library has this library has grown like oh. <laughs> <laughs> it is a disaster right now because of school <laughs> no I mean literally like you see this big pile of stuff down here I like kind of shoved it all over there because it was everywhere yeah so. well like I see your new dune that you have now oh yeah yeah I did just pick that up I ostensibly bought that for Jeffrey to reread, but I want to read it before the movie comes out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try, you know, I read the first couple pages. I'm like, I might be able to do this. It's a little dry, not to be, you know, punny, mm-hmm. uh, but <laughs> it's, you know, I do really want to read it, you know, before, before we see the the film in October. Cause the film looks great. Like I, I do want to see it. I, I was never a big Dune fan. I, like I said, a couple weeks ago on the show, I just watched the 84 version and was like pleasantly, you know, like, Oh, this is okay. You know, had I read the book and been like a massive fan, maybe I'd feel different. Uh, it's solidly. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I mean, it was, you know, fine enough for me. Uh, so I, I am hoping that, uh the book that i can kind of make it through okay so i yeah so i just picked that up but yeah there's a lot going on because i've 
I've pulled a lot of like reference materials. I've been reading uh, uh, and working on final papers and and stuff for class. Ugh, trying to keep my A's here at the end, you know, at the end of. Uh, oh, she's an A student. She is. She is. I took six classes, and right now I'm sitting on. Well, one of them's a. Uh, this is so stupid. Like, who cares? But one's a pass, no pass class, just because it's it's a. Uh, so it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. It pisses <laughs> me off. Yeah, because it's like academic opportunities in psychology, academic and career opportunities, as if I'm just now figuring out what it is I want to do with my life. Uh, so it's a painful class. Yeah. Um, That's what um, us ambitious AAPI students of a generation of a certain generation call irrelevant. Right. Exactly. <laughs> irrelevant. It, it helps not my GPA, then I not want to exactly. do with it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it annoys me, but I mean, I still have to, you know, do well in it because that's just me. So yeah, right now I'm sitting on all A's doing doing well, but uh, it is a lot of work and I'm in the last uh, last couple weeks here of that. So finals are coming up this week and next. Okay. So I know. Yeah, so the yeah, the library is a mess right now um, with stuff. And yeah, the, you know, the problem of like joining book clubs and like hanging, I, like I have been reading a lot more than I have in the last year or so besides school, like mm-hmm. school reading is always what it is. You know, that's just a given. But reading for pleasure has been really difficult for me for a while, especially when I was working and just, you know, a variety of stressors and stuff made it difficult. So now I am like get reading just for fun, like a book a week mm-hmm. and just kind of like you know, just, just to, you know, smartest man in the world. (laughs) Right. And so I'm in this silent, you know, book club with some of our friends that we share in common, um, who, you know, one of these days we're going to drag on this show and it's going to be so fun, but that's a whole other issue, (laughs) whole other conversation. Um, but, uh, sorry, this is a stupid joke, but I was like, is, are the members of the silent book club, the silent majority? Like, are they the silent generation? We're just Ex- adding a lot of silent. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's it's all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Continue, please. Uh, no, but so anyway, so now it's like they're reading books that are very interesting, and it's like let's switch, or you know, let, here's a book, or here's a book, you know, and so everybody's like, oh, we should all read this, or I read this and it was really great, and then like three other people say, it, and then I'm like on thrift books, you know, ordering it. <laughs> are you are you like actively re- recommending to people because I know some of the people in this book club and their people one in particular is not a horror film person but are you like getting these people to read horror fiction well no I mean it's not really kind of like that to some degree like yeah, but you're in it so I assume that you're you know you're reading Tanana Reeve do and Poppy Seep you know yeah you're reading you are the horror yeah but it's proselytizer so the way this is set up it's not a book club where everybody reads the same book true true yes yeah Yeah. you know it's just kind of like we get together just to read and Mm -hmm. to carve out that time to read I of course have been making recommendations for Mm -hmm. things and a lot of times I have been catching up on a lot of horror lit that's just been sitting around Uh, I did give one of the members this book uh, uh, first person plural which is about um uh, conjoined twins who one is gay and one is straight and it's just this really interesting weird kind of book uh so i mean i i'm kind of making some suggestions uh, several of us read the southern uh book club's guide to slaying vampires by grady hendrix you know who wrote uh satanic panic and has the uh, final girl support group coming out in july which i'm super excited about that book uh so like there is some horror a lot of true crime the person you're thinking of has been like knee deep in a true crime like 
compendium. Uh, so that's, you know, so it's kind of there. I, yeah. I think it kind of sneaks in okay. a, a little bit with horror. But yeah, of course, everybody knows I'm the horror geek and we do talk a little bit about horror. Um, what have I been reading in there? Oh, actually, I've been making, I read The Deep by River Solomon. That was really interesting. Uh, I just finished that last week. Um, I don't know where my other books are. Um, oh, I've been rereading uh, Her Body and Other Parties because of the Loser Book Club in L.A., which Chelsea Stardust is part of, and um, Michael, like that whole group. I think Sam might even be. Maybe. I'm not I sure. I can't remember. Wouldn't be but, surprised. But a lot of the people we know are kind of part of that. So I've also been following their book club every month. So they're starting um, Max Brooks. Uh, is it Devolution? Devolution? Mm-hmm. About like the Sasquatch massacre or something so i just ordered that i'm waiting for that to get here so yeah anyways reading 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 i'm doing a lot of reading a lot of book reading this is fright school so (laughs) in terms of in terms of fright school you are like you know you are working in your bac- international baccalaureate. I'm, <laughs> I'm in remediation. Well, yeah, well, and it's so funny because I am trying to find ways to like, as I'm starting to look at grad school programs and things like, how am I going to kind of marry, you know, like horror? Like, how am I going to really truly legitimize Fright School? You know, like I want to make a textbook. Like I have ideas, you know. So I am, you know, reading a lot more and just kind of thinking about the future in so, that way. So I'm going to say something that I probably will regret in a couple months, but I want to say it because um, whoever listens can like, you know, hold me accountable and, you know, spam my DMs about it. So I will commit to you that I think that we should read a book together this summer. One book, Fright School Book Club. And will involve because I've I've been a part of, I've listened to other podcasts where it's like we're going to talk about this book at length because it's in conjunction with another movie that's coming out, and so I would I commit to you that if you choose the book and the film I will read entirety the book. All right, well uh, that will be no problem. I could pick out books right you here could, and like, now. You could you could spit and land on five like you could. You nah, could that's throw true. A dart. Uh yeah, absolutely. Actually, did you read um Lady from the Black Lagoon? Um I have not yet. Yeah, cuz I think that's we definitely should read that, especially cuz I know Creature from the Black Lagoon is kind of on our docket, you know, coming up not soon soon, but soon. Uh this year I would like to get to that. Uh she's another one I would love to reach out and see if we could get her to come on and oh, chat with us, you yeah. know. <laughs> Mallory, yeah. Let's just have all of our pre-production conversations on uh the show from now on. I just I People think it's People love great. this in Inside the process, <laughs> people love it. Uh, but yeah, no, I th- I think that would be super fun uh, to do something, to pick something, and and and, and talk about it. Um, trying on the side, uh, I don't want to, you know, I'm not I'm not going to spoil it, and I, I don't want to like you know ruin it. But there is conversation that there might be a special, like maybe one off, once a month podcast with some people we love very dearly uh doing kind of something like that so this might be a way for you to participate in that at least you read one book you could talk about one book <laughs> yeah i'll read i'll read one book and and what's interesting is that like i i often will do this strange thing to people who read voraciously as you do where it's like i'll go and i'll be like oh this looks like a book that um I may not read the whole thing or I may skim it or may only, you know, but like, or read most of it over like a course of a few months. But like, 
I I'm very much of the mindset that like there is knowledge that it's good to just have like yeah. just to because you know it it's recognition that you don't know everything and so like of course and yeah. and I like knowing that so I like knowing that there are ways like oh I do have this I own this I may not know everything but I at least know where it is and I can have the physical copy of it so yeah um. So yeah, so I there's actually been a few books that I've been looking at that are in my uh, bookshop.org cart right now, just waiting <laughs> to pull off the trigger, uh, pull the trigger on it, and it's all they're all like social commentary, social justice type books, because um, I just I I need to find a fiction that grabs me. That's fun. I like a yeah. I like a fun thing. So, but I will read one book for you. All right. Well, we'll start with one, and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, uh, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, you know, we never discussed Drag Race last week. Are you happy with how things turned out? I mean, it was the obvious conclusion. Well, no. No, not, not at all. Because I thought obvious. I thought it was going to be Gottmik versus Simone, mm-hmm. and then that was, like, shot to hell. Yeah. Um, it, it, it reminded me, it gets, like, give me flashbacks to um, Sasha Valor versus, um, oh, my God, what is her name? Shea Coulee, <laughs> Shea Coulee. It's, it gives me that because like those were the top two that season that right. I really saw like they would be fun to get them at the end and then you have them like right in like the preliminary round and so to kind of see that but I mean am I happy that like am I happy that uh, Candy Muse made it as far as she did I am but like it, it was I, it was always going to be either Gottmik or Simone for me. Yeah, so. yeah, no, I was definitely like that. It has to be one of them. Uh, and yeah, and I like we've said a million times on the show. It's it doesn't really matter who wins, Mm-mm. you know, because at the end of the day, it's really about your own talent. We were talking last night. We were watching. Um, Trixie Mattel put out a new EP full coverage, which is uh, I think it's four songs. Um, it's uh, her doing a cover of Believe by Cher, which is actually pretty good. It's like an acoustic cover. It was really nice. Her cover of Video Games, her cover of Blister in the Sun, and then her cover of Jackson with Orville Peck. Which I showed Jimmy Kins yesterday. Oh, and, that's wonderful. And I was like, oh, and I forgot that like <sighs> Orville, Orville Peck's voice. I know. It's incredible. Yeah. Just, it's like Elvis and Johnny Cash. You know, and covered Roy in Orbison honey. a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Little Frank I, Sinatra. I wanted to make love to it. I, no, it's, yeah, his voice is incredible. Yeah, uh, very sexy and great. You know, just that deep, like, baritone that he does is oh, incredible. But we were talking about how, like, out of all the drag race queens, like, when you kind of put them together, I don't think anybody is as successful as Trixie has really been. You know, she's kind of mainstream in a way. Like, Jeffrey was saying, like, his mother, you know, who's in her 70s, knows who Trixie Mattel is, you know, just from random watching, you know, television and, and, and uh, videos. And I mean, I'm sure there are ones that are of, of comparable success. Obviously, Bianca Del Rio, you know, played Wembley and, you know, uh, has her whole uh, career as well. But when I think of people who have really been able to parlay her time on drag race into, I think a really sustainable career, good music. Her albums are good mm-hmm. in my opinion, you know, and I'm obviously lots of others. She's gone on tour, tour the world, you know, so she makes music that's actually good. It's not like just your standard drag fair of, you know, 
remix the house down boots. Feel your <laughs> feel your puss down deep in your soul. Like, <laughs> and I mean, it's there. There are some of the songs that it's there, but I think overall, there she writes really good. She writes, you know, good music. She can play the guitar. She can, do, you know, do. She that. has like a point of view. Like she's she not, has a very clear point of view. It, but it's yeah. not like the point of view is not that I'm a drag queen, and you know, it's not Miss Kasha Davis cocktail, cocktail, cocktail. Right, right, right. Um, I mean, and 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 I'm not saying that. I mean, like compared to Willem, like Willem also had a point of view, but like Willem is also like high camp and right and completely about you know about like you know spitting in the face of the illusion. But but Trixie is like actually like I would I listen to her music unironically because I'm such a oh yeah no I I'm a fan such a fan yeah yeah, yeah. no I think it's great. And the documentary only helped her. Yeah, the moving parts documentary. She's got her um, Trixie Mattel uh, Trixie Cosmetics does really well. So it's like I just think she's done a really good job. And I get well. I, I mean, I guess she was a winner of All Stars, but. You but know. she didn't know that when she made the documentary. No, that's true. And doing the uh, being on the seasons, like the people who win the main seasons, it doesn't really matter if you don't have much to offer, you know, or if you don't know how to like make it work for you. So, Got Mick, I think, is incredible, and will figure it out, and will do well. I'm sure Simone will do well. Uh, I feel for them like this this season and last season because a big part of like getting that momentum of winning Drag Race or even just being on Drag Race is doing those tours and going out and meeting fans and getting those bookings. So I kind of feel like this we're gonna have two kind of lost seasons of Queens, you know, who didn't immediately get to tour and immediately kind of get you know that in, exposure. We'll see how it ways, goes. Yes. Yeah, because you can't be like, all right, we're going to go on the road with forty queens. Like you just can't do the show that way. Mm-hmm. So it'll be very interesting to see who has managed to, when that comes back, and they can do those work the world tours again or whatever it is to see who shows up on those and and who's going to have the draw because that's obviously a big part too. Um, you know, when I look at the the list of queens, I've gone to some of the shows and I've skipped some of them because I'm like, I don't care about these queens. You know, just for whatever reason. Uh, and the ticket price is not enough to like just love one queen. You know, I'd rather go see her show than when she comes around, like Trixie's show that got canceled. So, anyways, we are woo, on a tangent. Um, <laughs> We're on a drag tangent. <laughs> but the point is, is that I'm very happy for Simone. Uh, I, I'm happy that got Mick got on there. Hopefully, that will signal a future change for Drag Race. You know, as we've talked about before, seeing more trans uh, visibility. You know, playing with what drag is. You know, let's now let's now be so subversive as to like subvert drag you know and what the mainstream has now expected it to be and kind of created this box for it let's now break that box open so it's no longer taboo for a man to be in a dress well let's also talk about other forms of drag and give that its space yeah which it's like we find ourselves in this really interesting predicament right where it's like the last what three four three four years we've seen the like utter mainstreaming of drag where like right. the primary we've talked about it before like yeah. the primary demographic is now uh white women in like their late teens early 30s and their mothers yeah i saw trixie do a roast where she was like who are the people behind the 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 drag tours oh work the world like yeah the, what are their names oh they're two men right yeah like yeah dave and bob like yeah alan whatever Chuck it is Don but Travel. it was like it's like dave and well yeah that was the alan duck uh, and Chuck. no but like yeah but it's like, like that. those guys marcus and something yeah. patrick and marcus whatever it is i have no idea i just made that up um but she was like 
you know, these guys have screwed more mothers of white teenage girls out of their money than Jeffree Star. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, that is so on point because that is kind of where drag, what, what drag has become. Like everything gets trickled down, you know, you know, from these subcultures, once it's embraced, then all of a sudden it's like, but, but it'll be interesting to see like, as the show goes on and like, it's heavily, it's like, it's like, you know, very securely in the pocket of mainstreaming where you get like the innovative queen because like right. if we were to Sharon Needles will not win now like <laughs> I don't think Sharon Needles would win now I don't think Raja would have won I mean Raja maybe but I don't think Jinx Monsoon would have won now like you know what I mean like it's just there are these things that and and it's also interesting because like now it's RuPaul who is solely making the decision so RuPaul is now thinking about her legacy and all right. that stuff. And, you know, if it, if it did come down to, like, Gottmik versus Simone, what, you know, either way, RuPaul wins because right. she has been a villain to both uh, young black people in the trans community at one point. Right, yeah, yeah. Definitely those perceptions of that and the conversation about that, about about how she is or is not being supportive. Uh, and also, just quite frankly, this article went around that uh, I encourage any fan of Drag Race to look at with the financial burden of doing Drag Race. Uh, and that that was not the case in the first few seasons like you could get away with like truly being a a do-it-yourself queen to some extent Uh, but now especially if you get on another season you know where you come back and then it's like everybody's got thousand dollar dresses you know so they're like you know one of the queens was like i spent my college education money on like that's like instead of going to college i like went on all-stars and spent $50,000 on dresses and gowns that I have zero guarantee are going to be seen, you know? So it's like, there is this also this kind of burden that I, I think that's the, the most criminal thing about like any, any mainstreaming of anything, you know, it's like this expectation. I, I, you know, like within horror, you know, we have to have those like B movies that are just done, like, you know, that are exciting and are kind of made in, you know, a few days. And they're they're just this intense because that is how horror has evolved and changed. Like, everything can't be an A24 type film. Like, those, they have their place. But, like, you need to have, like, the scruffy people, like, you know, just being able to get a, a successful film made and shown to the world without needing millions of dollar budgets and you know all of that and that's kind of how i feel about drag there's still these incredible drag queens of the world there's some right here in san diego obviously people all over that deserve a spot in the spotlight of drag and it also like it it colors the it colors the perception of people who only watch Drag Race, who go to see their local queens. Right. And it's just like, oh, it looks like you made this at home. And I'm like, well, yeah, girl, because she did make it at home. Because that's drag, yeah. Because that's drag. And that's, that's what part it was, it. yeah. So to, uh, I, th- I think one of the best things in that article talks about is like, there needs to be a cap on spending. Yes. Um, and I think that if you have that cap on spending, then you, I mean, it won't put anyone at a disadvantage because it puts it in an even playing field. I, I constantly think about Chi-Chi Devane, right? right? Chi-Chi Devane's season where she's like, I don't have the money, like calling it out plainly. I don't have the money the rest of these other queens have. And then now you have like, you know, I don't want to see you no know, H&M dress or whatever bullshit. I, I also didn't watch that season, so I don't know the full context of the quote, but like hearing... RuPaul say that and it's like okay well you know sometimes like 
the best that these girls can do are off the rack or, right. you know, whatever. So, I yeah, yeah. And but like, you know, and Bob pointed out, like, you know, I don't have a body type off the rack. So mm-hmm. I do have to invest. I do have to make, you know, dresses or have them made for me. So, you know, again, it's just like anything. Capitalism is ruining it all. <laughs> Uh, you know, and not ruining. There are obviously some incredible things that happen on Drag Race, and again, I'm I'm hoping to continue to see that evolution, and I'm also continuing to hope. I, I'm hoping to see a resurgence of like do-it-yourself drag, and you know, I don't. I should watch Dragula more because I think that that's that's actually kind of where the cutting edge of drag is, like literally and figuratively, uh, right now. So I, I should invest more time watching that. Uh, so we'll just, we'll just have to see, we'll just have to see where, you know, where, where it continues to grow. Uh, all right. Well, anything else (laughs) now that we've been talking for an hour and a half, uh, about this? (laughs) Yes. I, so I did, um, I didn't mention it last week because I wanted to give people, the people on Guam, a a you know, an instant or, um, give them the, the heads up or the, you know, the lead time on it, but. I did do an interview with a podcast of uh, two content creators on Guam. Um, their new podcast is called We Got Out of Bed Today. And um, they are two lovely, amazing, beautiful Micronesian people um, in the same way that I'm also Micronesian, but they're like also like really, <laughs> like truly Micronesian. Micronesian. Microne- Micronesian. And if you want to... Um, it, dear listener, if you want to get an idea of what it's like to um, to hear me talk to other people where I'm from and like the kinds of things we talk about, um, this is a really good. Um, it's a really fun episode, a really good episode, and I and I and I spill a little more tea about my appearance on the weakest link. So. Oh, nice! All right, well, I will definitely link that in the. Um in the show yes. notes below and give them a good listen because like they they do talk about they do talk about things um that are you know a lot of it is like specific to living on guam and living in that part of the world um their conversation about sustainability is really interesting because like it, they're talking like talking about sustainability in the sense of like um, what are we leaving? Like, what are we leaving for the future? And then also, like, because Guam is an island, most of everything is imported. So it's like, okay, are we blaming, like, are we are we going to blame the person who, you know, bought the, like, disposable straw or the shampoo? Or are we going to blame the corporation who, right. like, forced, you know, so, like, ha- having those kinds of thoughts about things. Um, awesome. But also, like, you know, from a comp- hearing it from a specific cultural lens of being in that part of the world. So Yeah, very cool. Well, yeah. we are in Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. Yes. Yeah, so this is a perfect time. This is a perfect time. You need to go and listen. Yeah. Um, if you follow their Instagram, um, you you can see a lot. There, there's actually a, May is also, they're doing like a Pacifica uh, reading challenge. So encouraging more people to read um read books and things from folks that are from Pacifica. So Melanesia, Micronesia, Oce- cool. Oceania. Oceania. Yeah. I love that. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I think that's awesome. And, you know, dear listener, there's probably a good chance that your favorite uh, Guamanian is is our friend Joe right here. Yeah. And if you want to, you know, support Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, you know, you can follow uh, dear Shane and pop a little tuition in the tip jar. Yeah. <laughs> 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 For all the hard uh, labor that uh, Joe Joe from Guam, <clears throat> which is how you'll be referred to for the rest of the month, um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it's, I want to slow clap right. I want to slow clap right now. This uh, <laughs> this <laughs> capitalization of my identity. No. <laughs> <laughs> I w- specifically white people should give you money. Yes, white people, it's your fault. So give me, give me the money, give me the money, and I will share it with Joshua. No, it doesn't. You don't share it with me. You put it right back into the bills of this show. <laughs> uh, you know, to support our friends that we know, podcasting. Yes, right? yeah, yes. Matt Kelly over there. Uh, please check that out. I will link them actually in the show notes as well uh, because uh, they are awesome and Matt has been a massive help on this show. You know, he hosts Horror Movie Night. We've talked about our love of, of Matt Kelly and all the boys over there uh, and he has a new business. We know podcasting where they will teach you the, the tools and tricks of podcasting or, you know, offer services and you should definitely check it out because they know what they are talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had literally three different people approach me about helping them start a podcast and every single person i've said you need to just contact matt kelly (laughs) (laughs) yes the guru the guru of podcasting uh wow we we got lots of plugs in on this so go us yay we love our friends we love you dear listener we'll be right back to talk about 1935's bride of frankenstein yay Hey everybody, I'm Chris Fafalius and I'm the producer of Chris Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work well we can help you with that also you can check out our website at we for more information we're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality all right all right welcome back so today we are kicking off uh you know our may series may 2021 and joe you pointed out that may is sort of the beginning of peak wedding season uh may june obviously Mm -hmm. june bride is like the thing Mm -hmm. but we already have a plan for what we're doing in june and july so so and (laughs) and uh, and where we live in sunny san diego america's finest city it's you know there's actually really nice weather in may even though we do get a couple instances of may gray um, thanks to climate change, not so much and lately. Me. <laughs> and, yeah, and you. <laughs> um, so it is, um, May is actually the beginning of kind of like our wedding season. And um, it's already summer. Like I'm, I'm, I'm here in this floral print shirt. Um, yeah, we'll post you look, it online. Looking beautiful. Um, so yeah, so we're doing, and also, and as Joshua mentioned, there is, you know, it is also Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage month but there aren't a lot of horror films that have asian americans and pacific islanders um at the helm so until hollywood until hollywood and recognizes recognizes um we are talking about brides right 
So we are kicking things off with, I mean, where else are you going to start? You know, 1935, Bride of Frankenstein, classic uh, follow-up sequel to 1931's Frankenstein, which we did a an episode on um, sometime in the past, before yes. COVID. Because <laughs> I cannot tell you any time anymore. I, I have no idea when we did there's, anything. There's everything pre-COVID pre and now we're still in COVID. So yeah. technically, uh, we're, That's still, true. we're still yeah. in the COVID. So whenever, the, the, like the, the really bad part of COVID, I guess, we're going to kind of break yeah. it up, you know. Anyway, so we've got, I love this, starring Karloff, because he didn't even need a first name. He's Madonna of his day, <laughs> apparently. Uh, we got Karloff as the monster. Uh, Elsa Lanchester, Katie Nana. Casey Nana. As, uh, which I really wanted to surprise. I'm sad that you saw that before because I know you posted about it. And I was like, damn it. Because I was like excited to be like, you know who that is? Because uh, I knew you would know. Like, I was like, that's Katie fucking Nana. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, we have Elsa Lanchester uh, playing the dual role of Mary Shelley and, of course, the titular bride. Uh, Colin Clive returns as Frankenstein, as Dr. Frankenstein. Uh, Ernest Thessing- Thessinger, Thessinger playing Dr. Pretorius, who girl. Uh, <laughs> so this picks up right after, you know, the events of Frankenstein and, you know, everything's on fire and miracle of miracles. The Frankenstein's monster, you know, he escapes Boris Karloff there, uh, you know, of course, murders more people and, uh, you know, hijinks ensue and the Dr. Pretorius goes after Dr. Frankenstein like, look, man, what we got to do is make this motherfucker uh, a bride and you're we're gonna do it together you and me uh without the help of any women <laughs> and that's what the movie's about uh the bride is in it for what four minutes <laughs> which this is how so uh, this film gets a big queer reading and that's really the most queer thing is that you have a queer director who's like the bride of frankenstein but the whole movie has nothing to do with her until the last few minutes <laughs> And then she gets. She up. makes a law of a fashionably, truly fashionably late entrance. <laughs> and she serves face. Uh, someone goes to touch her. She screams and leaves. <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, I'm. I love her. She's amazing. Uh, so the impetus is that the word I'm looking for. The genesis of this script idea is part of the original novel Frankenstein uh, so I like this I just want to kind of read this quote here from Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus by one Mary Shelley uh, in that the monster comes to Victor Frankenstein he's called Henry in the in these movies but Victor in the book uh, to ask him to, to make a, a mate and he says shall each man cried he find a wo- wife for his bosom and each beast have his mate and I be alone and so the monster says hey do me this favor make me a partner and I'll leave you alone man I'll take off into South America I think is what they say yeah and we'll hide out and so Victor's like okay fine i'll do it if you just leave me alone but then of course he's torn up apart by his like god wanting to make you know the god abilities kind of thing and even though he starts to make the creation he destroys the unfinished bride so she's not resurrected as she is in in the movie and other in other film adaptations the monster seeing this uh goes and uh 
rips out poor Elizabeth's heart, the wife of uh, Frankenstein, for, uh, you know, going back on his word. And then, obviously, more hijinks ensue <laughs> as they chase each other across the Arctic uh, or wherever the hell they are. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, so that's kind of where the impetus for or the, the genesis for the Bride of Frankenstein. It, it was kind of part of the novel that the monster had asked for a, a, a mate. And uh, that's one of the, you know, besides the the act of creating the creature and then sort of abandoning him. The other horrible thing that Victor does is, you know, make this promise and, and goes back on it. So let's uh, start, you know, where we usually do with, uh, what did you think of uh, Brad Frankenstein? I really liked it. Um, you know how I feel about um, any films that are uh, quote unquote old um, <laughs> in, in black and white, as it were. Um, I enjoyed it. I saw a lot of, um, a lot of tropes, a lot of uh, little plot devices that are definitely used now um, in film. And I thought that the quality was really there. And I, I enjoyed it a lot more than the original Frankenstein, I have to say. But yeah, overall, um, very, very good film. Definitely one that like, definitely one that you can have in the background at a party. Um, yeah. And it's probably one that I won't watch like, again but it is one of my favorites so yeah i i i agree i enjoy this film it's very i think it was ahead of its time and we'll kind of talk mm-hmm. a little bit about you know some of the some of the themes of it cuz it's it's a very deep film for like being what 75 minutes or something long mm-hmm. yeah 75 minutes like you know barely just over an hour long um you know, it's just it's it's been red to filth back and forth. <laughs> lots of lots of uh, lots of interpretations. Um, I so first of all, just the beginning is so we have Elsa Lanchester playing Mary Shelley, Mary Shelley with her with Percy and uh, Lord, Byron. Lord Byron. And this whole thing, it just it's like, tell us a scary story and then we'll have a threesome. And by threesome, I mean me and him are going to do it while you continue to knit that, <laughs> and you can watch. But you know <laughs> or, that this like is based on a real thing, right? <laughs> right. The um. So I actually know about when I when I saw this, I was like, oh my god, this is hilarious because, um, drunk history. One of their Halloween episodes talked specifically about the summer of eighteen sixteen and how Mary Shelley, Lord Byron, and Percy Shelley engaged in opium filled orgies. <laughs> And how she, it was because of those opium-filled orgies that she had the dreams of um, her characters for Frankenstein. Um, and I was just like, oh my God, are they, they're about to fuck. <laughs> they're about to fuck. It felt, it's very dandy. I, you know, we should just spend the rest of the episode making sure all of our R's roll. You know, I am Lord Byron. And I was like, <laughs> it's a lot of that. I was like, wow. Lots of dandies. She's Dandyism. Good. She's good with her tongue. Let she me tell you. is. <laughs> yes. And they're ready for it. Uh, they all sit on that couch together. It's very intimate. You know, I was like, Katie Nana's about to, you know, double fist some dick. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> that will not be the title of this episode as much as I want it to be. Oh my gosh, that is. That's exactly what you want to have happen. Uh oh man. I I just I don't even know where to start, to be honest, because there is so much. 
there's so much conversation around this film. Uh, right before, you know, I showed you uh, Matt Draper's uh, The Queer Tragedy of the Bride of Frankenstein, which I, I will uh, link in the in the show notes. You know, it's about 17 minutes long, kind of looking at all like this queer history. Because you know, so the director, James Whale, and this is kind of what we talk about when people are, you know, we've had that conversation with Sam and Michael Verratti, you know, about, or Sam Weinman and Michael Verratti about uh, queer horror and like, oh, the time for queer horror is now. But it's like, this is 1931, or, you know, well, Frankenstein 1931, this is 1935. James Whale lived a, a fairly out life. Uh, you know, what, what I've read is that he, he wasn't like a flag waver. You know, he wasn't like going around making sure everybody knew, but he also didn't like fight to hide it. He was like, this was just who he was. And the people around him knew that there was something that was like the, uh, what was the quote? It was like the, um, what's it's like the an word? open secret you know but like, it sounded a little elitist it was sort of like you know that like evolved around him new and that it was fine you know like it wasn't like who cares you know he made these great films that you know i mean truly saved i i think universal in a way you know i mean built it to what it was because i mean in the day this i mean bride of frankenstein made how much money like two million at the box office, which equates to you know some thirty million today. I mean, it was a huge hit. Uh, you know, so queer people, we're we're good at things. Okay, let us make films. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we talked a little bit. I think. Uh, well, I don't. I guess I shouldn't spoil the episode. Uh, but we we guessed it on another podcast, and we had a little bit of this conversation about how queer people have always kind of been here, like and and been doing things, and then the Hayes Code came along yeah. and and ruined a lot of that. And that did happen with The Bride of Frankenstein. There was a ton of rewrites and a ton of like back and forth about what should and shouldn't, you know, be, you know, on screen or not on screen. And despite all of that, some stuff still sneaks in. Uh, one of the caveats, though, I should mention is that friends of James Whale who knew him uh, and he he died, unfortunately, by suicide in 1950 something. <laughs> I had that earlier. Mm -hmm. 1950 seven they think suicide he left a suicide note but there's other you know how there's always conspiracy of like yeah. oh maybe somebody murdered somebody helped him but the people that knew him said that sure he was queer gay homosexual whatever the words they were using then uh but that wasn't something that he purposefully informed his art with you know he happened to be an artist who was gay you know mm -hmm but that that wasn't something that he tried to inform. Regardless, you know, you've talked about this before. This comes up in the video I mentioned, you know, the death of the author. Like, people reading the film are going to read it how they read it. And in the 70s, I th think roughly around the 70s, people sort of, like, rediscovered, like, his story, and the film just gets a, a gay reading. It's just, you know, it is what it is. And there are plenty of <laughs> ways to read it. Uh... So, gosh, where to even start? I, I mean, I the one the big thing that you know comes up monster the the monster's relationship with the hermit. Obviously, when you were watching that, did you feel did you know much about the queer reading before I showed you the video, or how, did you think about that? I, I guess I should ask that first. Like when you watched it, what, did anything stick out to you as like, oh, this is kind of queer? Well, I mean. Horror is horror is always inherently queer, as I have, have a, as I've decided, and I and and I've 
approaching every single film <laughs> in that way. Right. Um, I mean, yeah. Did I think like, did I think the beginning of, you know, two um, men wearing bespoke clothing and, you know, speaking in this like very <laughs> florid <laughs> way, um, asking a woman to, you know, regale them with a tale so as to distract her from, you know, the fact that they're going to go fuck. Um, yeah, but, but there were also, there are also things, I mean, like, you know, just the, the, but the general things that we always look for, where it's like the outcast looking for, right. um, looking for acceptance, looking for a mate. Like, you know, I, <laughs> I was like, have I ever felt like Frankenstein in that moment where, or with the monster, I should say, wherever I felt like the monster in that moment where it's like, I'm just roaming the countryside trying to find someone to love me. And, you know, people are um, waving their pitchforks and telling me that <laughs> and telling me I'm an abomination. Yes. Right. <laughs> Which itself is very queer when all we want is a friend. And like, and I thought that was really interesting. The idea of like friend is both the marker for like, love interest and like platonic friendship and and there and he's looking for a friend in that way yeah there's uh there is uh, some right some something i read that the word mate was kind of charged mm-hmm. so it's said like once in the film but otherwise it's kind of ref- it's contextualized as friend and as far as we know with the monster the, the cool thing about the bride of frankenstein is that they allow him to sort of evolve, you know? So in the first movie, you know, he's just very confused about his existence and angry without knowing why, why he exists. You know, that's a lot of that is the struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, But he has no language where, and we talked about that when we did our Frankenstein episode that the, the novel, the, the monster in the novel is very philosophical and, you know, talks a lot and has all of these thoughts uh, you know, so they kind of take that away and he's just given this like mime. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was funny. One of the things I read was that they're, it's sort of ironic that just as talkies like were becoming a thing, the performance everybody was enamored with was like basically a pantomime, you know, mm-hmm. uh, performance by Boris Karloff as Frankenstein. Um, But yeah, here, so... The interesting thing is, you know, he meets the hermit. They sort of have, you know, they're both lonely. They're both kind of outcasts. You know, the hermit is blind, though. So he there's this unconditional sort of love, quote unquote, you know, for the monster coming in. He just wants to, the hermit just wants to help, you know, feed him, teaches him words, gives him a language. They build this rapport. And then throughout the film you know they do a couple really cool things where the monster at the beginning he's burned you know his hair's gone well the makeup evolves as his hair grows back as you know he heals heals a little bit (laughs) Uh, but also throughout he becomes more and more self-aware and now that he has language he, he has a consciousness to understand his situation much better you know so there's this like growing cognizance of the rejection of people and feeling like this outsider-ness even more. Like, beyond just, like, like I said, you know, in the first film, just rage of, mm-hmm. you know, of, of trying to figure out why he exists to now, like, I'm very lonely, and all I want is to be dead. If this is living, I'd rather go back to being dead. So I think that's that's a really beautiful 
sentiment in the film. You know, we all, any of us who are queer or who are a person of color or who are you know, a woman or just outside of that norm, there's always that time in your life, most likely, where you feel alone, you know, where you feel very singular. And growing up queer, especially in the horror film that is, you know, junior high and high school, you know, as you're, as you're coming into your own sexuality, it's not something you can openly express to others like straight people can because it's accepted. So you're at, you're in danger all the time. So there is just this beautiful, I think for queer people watching or anybody who feels an outs as an outsider watching him slowly realize like, wow, this world fucking sucks. Like you people suck. (laughs) I'm trying to help. I'm very confused. I'm very lost, but I'm trying to do my best. And you keep setting me on fire and shooting at me and screaming at me. And I just, I'm just trying to live. So that in and of itself is a very beautiful and emotional response that at least I had when I first saw it Yeah, with that context in mind of, of, of being queer. A very cool article I read from Pop Matters, One Wedding and Lots of Funerals, The Bride of Frankenstein. This is by Marco Lenzagorda from 2005. So it's kind of, it's older, but they write about Frankenstein's monster instead of representing queer people. I mean, the article covers a lot of different things, but what I like is that they talk about the lynching and persecution of the monster has obvious overtones toward the tense racial anxieties that mm. dominated 30s America. In those days of generalized racism and segregation, the otherness of black people was often represented in popular culture with irresponsible, vicious, criminally, mentally deficit you know, characters. One way or another, all these traits are present in the Frankenstein monster. Therefore, the creature is a real rational metaphor for racial oppression uh which i was like oh that's kind of a different you know Mm because usually when we're talking about the bride of frankenstein the conversation is queer 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 i went to horror noir to see if there was any mention of of that analysis i didn't see it within the bride of frankenstein i should probably go back and look actually for uh frank just plain old frankenstein Mm mm-hmm because uh, I'm not sure. I I can't remember if it was mentioned in the documentary. Do you remember Frankenstein coming up? No, not not Frankenstein specifically because of the aesthetics. Like because they mention creature from the Black Lagoon because of aesthetics. Yeah. Well, no, there's actually quite a few pages here about Frankenstein. So, um, oh yeah, and the same the cake bringing up like the birth of the nation, um, and and that sort of you know we see that when, when you're thinking about the thirties, if you're watching that at that time, mm-hmm. knowing what was going on and yep. knowing about lynchings and knowing about these lynch mobs, it, uh, it would have had a very, I, I think that, yeah, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a very racialized conversation happening. And then like him getting, you know, tied to the pole and brought up, even though I, it, it's, there's a conversation like the Christ figure, mm-hmm. the inversion, the inverse Christ, uh, I think there's also, yeah, a lot to be said about lynchings of the time and, you know, just that complete and utter terror. And again, when people are just living their lives, like the hermit, even when the when the two men come in and are like, wait, what the fuck's going on here? Nope, we got to bust this up. The hermit's like, no, we're cool. He's my friend. Yeah. yeah, like I'm hanging out. We don't really get a sense of how much time has passed, but, you know, a little while. 
uh, for him to teach him language, and, you know, for them to kind of have this, yeah. you know, sort of bond growing. We don't I, get a montage like in Lang yeah, King, but true. But you know, there is just this, you know, conversation happening that obviously they've they've developed, you know, some sort of relationship. And totally ignored because that's exactly it. You know, when we're like, we're not a threat, we're not a danger. It's like, no, it doesn't matter. It's the perception mm-hmm, of mm-hmm, threat. Mm-hmm. You know, you are you are a threat to heteronormativity. <laughs> you are a threat to white supremacy. So we got to we got to end that. Uh, yeah. So I just uh, and again, you know, you'll find this article in the show notes because there there's lots of really good conversation in here just about. Uh, yeah, the 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 black stereotype of the 30s, um, you know, the the myth of the black rapist, you know, which was used to justify lynchings and used to have a conversation. Uh, Angela Davis wrote about that in um, Women, Race and Class mm-hmm. about the myth of the black male rapist as, 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 as a tool, a couple of tools, one to justify lynching. Uh, but also to kind of drive a wedge in between white women, especially white poor women who had way more in common with black men than they did with rich white women, quite frankly. Um, but in order to kind of sell that mythology and, and ruin that, because there was a lot in that in that time, like you know, there's a lot of like hidden history, like, you know, after like the Civil War and after the ending of slavery, uh, there was like a state um, where there was like a lot of black people elected to office and, you know, this whole conversation, you know, where, where there was growing uh, support and uh, for uplifting black voices and, you know, coming together white, poor white people, poor black people, everybody. And so the, the myth of the black rapist was a very, very potent way to destroy that. Yeah. You know, because every black man is a threat. And that obviously has echoed mm-hmm. into today. And we can see that, I think, in some way in Frankenstein, um, in, in, in the monster. But we're queers, and that's what we came to talk about, right? <laughs> we are non-black queers, so we are here to queer it up. <laughs> so obviously with the monster and the hermit, they have like this sort of domestic relationship happening that is, you know, violently ended. The other clearly queer <laughs> relationship is uh, Pretorius and Frankenstein, Doctor uh, the doctors. Man, Pretorius. She's, she's fancy. She's the queen. <laughs> she's like, what's his name? Ian McKellen. <laughs> I would like to see Ian McKellen play. Yeah. Doctor Pretorius? <laughs> yes. Which, you know, Ian McKellen played James Whale in Gods and Monsters which is the biopic um, where it's like uh, James Whale at the end of his life. That's right. Um, that's right. I think I'd written, I wrote a note about that earlier, but you know, it's so funny. I said that that's like priming. Like my mm-hmm. brain was thinking of Ian McKellen, but Ian McKellen now is Dr. Pretorius. Yes. Not Ian, Ian McKellen Ma- then. No, is Ian James McKellen Whale. now for sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, him or uh, even Patrick Stewart. I want them to like camp it up though. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that he comes in and he's like Rip Taylor, like just Ex- like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, for that time, he feels it. You he's know, like Henry. <laughs> yeah, no, he's super queer, and I love he like comes in. He's like, no, fuck his bride, kick her out, and we're going to make a uh, we're gonna go make a woman together. Come yeah. on, you know, we're gonna it's... go make life by 
Um, I think I I was reading. It's like we're gonna go. He rips his uh, him. He rips Henry away from his bride, presumably because they were Kicks going to her make, out. Yeah, like you gotta go. We gotta gonna have make, a private talk. Uh, they were going to make life the old fashioned way, and he's like, no, come with me, and I'm gonna go teach you how to. We're gonna go make life together the uh, non traditional way. <laughs> yeah, basically, there's uh, there's a novelization that kind of takes that a little farther, where he kind of makes a comment that he he doesn't have the option to do it naturally. Yeah. So it again, further what is the, queers him. What does the guy in Brokeback Mountain say? They're going to go bud the rose. Oh, <laughs> there we go. Hot. <laughs> I don't want anybody to ever say that to me. <laughs> Not a good pickup line. It's no. like, would you like to go bud the rose? <laughs> But they, so they go off to make a woman together. And again, like we have the same conversation that was sort of happening in the first Frankenstein movie that Mm -hmm. there is this idea of, or well, not even the movie, but the novel. I mean, Mary Shelley is made this science fiction novel about the morality of playing God, but it's also about like the destruction of womankind. Like Mm -hmm. why would men need women if they could make, their own babies, basically. If they can make their own humans together, what of womankind? Yeah. That was one of her fears, you know, of, of science and of the, you know, the, the patriarchal science, the patriarchal control of science. Uh, you know, so we have kind of the same conversation happening here to some degree about, you know, these two guys going off and defying, like, the natural law, the natural order of things uh, to, to create life without, without a woman. Man, the homunculi or whatever they're called, like oh, what yeah. the hell is so creepy and weird and wonderful and just don't you want one? Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> I read that there was one of the one of the because this was banned in a few countries or at least like rejected, you know, because of censorship. Because it was it, it did get a lot of censorship. The one in Japan is it Japan where, where they were like, like, oh, you're making a fool. You're of making a king. fool of the king. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, we can't have that. I just love that. That's that's what like trips them up. I was like, I could totally see like one of those little homunculi would go great in this library, like the 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 mermaid one. Yeah, just keep her on a shelf. Yeah, yeah, totally fine. I, can I feed her fish food? Is that a thing? Um, don't mermaids eat human flesh? Oh, well, I have use for you yet, Joe. <laughs> whoop whoop. <laughs> Uh yeah, so they're they're pretty gay together, the two of them making making a woman, and then just Pretorius like hanging out in the like this is my kind of guy hanging out in a crypt. He's got a skull, pile of bones. Yeah, got himself a charcuterie. Uh, yeah, which well, <laughs> I was like, I is which uh, let's let's be real, right? When you put out that charcuterie plate two weeks ago on the tray, um, you do have like a skull can like. <laughs> You have it looked like Dr. Pretorius's little charcuterie. Yeah, I'm here for it. You know, it's I'm 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 so for this. It's very very Myrtle Snow, you know, gotta have a charcuterie yes. platter, uh, you know, and, and a, a bidet. bidet. Yeah, got to. Uh Pretorius, I think, had it hidden somewhere. He had a traveling one. Pretty sure you gotta be ready. He's he's like ready. Uh yeah, I just you, love him. You gotta be ready, because if you if you stay ready, you won't have to get ready that's right <laughs> boom so yeah i just love her camping it up in a crypt 
just hanging out. The monster comes around and, you know, they have this whole conversation. That's where is that's where like the friend thing gets defined, where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, you know, he already had a friend in the hermit. And mm-hmm. then it's like, we're going to make you another friend. And yeah. even though he's becoming aware, there is still somewhat of a limit. We don't really know how the Frankenstein's monster truly thinks of the word friend and yeah. what it means and what his sexuality is. But there is just this kind of blurring of the line there, yeah. you know, this kind of queering again of that. Yeah, He's bi. Like, right, he's, which is fine. He's ambisexual. He's pansexual. He's yeah. here for it all, whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, he just wants, he doesn't want to be lonely. Uh, yeah, nobody <laughs> wants to cry. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh. Mm. Frankenstein is by. Don't cry out loud. Just yeah. keep it inside. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, they that I just love him, and I think that that's kind of what I want to do with my later life. I just want to hang out in crypts, eating and uh, asking to make being maniacal procreative life with <laughs> yes. other men. <laughs> I just I think it'd be great. It feels very arch, you know. I just I just want to be. Just want to be there doing that. Uh, Very arch. I don't think of <laughs> you know, like campy, like you know, uh, my eyebrows raised. It's very, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna do a lot of this gesticulating and <laughs> rolling of my R's. So this is your, so you've come is... <laughs> to see me here in the crypt. It's gonna be wonderful. This is your retirement plan. Yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's just. It's just wonderful. He's just so high camp in a way. And I, that's kind of how I think James Whale, like his sense of writing and directing, that is one of those things that regardless of how much, what, what conversation he wanted to have about being gay in the film, who knows? You know, at, at the end of the day, who knows what he was thinking when he, you know, put these things together or the, the, the script that he because he worked on the script. He didn't want to do it, okay? So we know that. He thought Frankenstein was fine, put a period on that, move on. But he was convinced to to do the sequel, and it went through a lot of rewrites and a lot of workshopping, I guess. And, you know, he gave it to one person, then another person. And so eventually, you know, they, they got this script. Who knows what his artistic conversation was you know who knows what it was he wanted you to get out of it but at the end of the day as we've said like as queer people you you do have a lens you do have a perspective and so that camp i think is really how the bride of frankenstein has like like the definite Mm -hmm. queerness of it Mm -hmm. is just that it there is some campy stuff that's yeah. super fun and really gay even watching now and i think back then queer people that may have seen it was like oh okay we see her we see yeah. you miss whale yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think the guy who played pretorius even did work as a female impersonator i think i read that somewhere that he was kind of known for being like a drag artist in that time what? I, again i don't uh so what you're saying is when they remake Bride of Frankenstein, it's going to be like RuPaul is Dr. Pretorius. Oh, my gosh. Wouldn't that be super fun? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine like Hanny? <laughs> Girl, we're going to go make a woman. We're going to make a woman. We're going to make a whole ass and then it's, woman. <laughs> uh, and then it's um, Alyssa Edwards yeah. <laughs> doing the her eye looks. <laughs> 
I mean, serving face. You want to talk about serving face? That is Alyssa Edwards all the way right <laughs> That's there. That's true. She'll uh, be like... <laughs> We're going to make this a woman. <laughs> a woman. I, uh, I'm i trying to find evidence of that. Oh, yeah. Well, in 1925, Thessiger or Thessiger appeared in drag um, in Noel Coward's On With The Dance. This highlighted his ability to play camp-like roles, which would eventually catch the eye of the similarly, 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 that's fun to say, uh, camp-leaning James Whale. So, hey, there we go. There is some evidence <laughs> that he, you know. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm still thinking like RuPaul as Dr. Pretorius. Uh, yeah, no, this is brilliant. We are brilliant. This whole idea is great. And yeah, I just want to see. Hanny. Hanny. Uh, Hanny Frankenstein. <laughs> we got to go. We got uh, to make us a woman. Parts are spoiling. Um <laughs> We got we got to go to what is it Tuckahoe Asylum, yeah, Tuckahoe <laughs> Crypt, and pick up <laughs> pick up some <sighs> parts. Uh, He's drinking absolute vodka, vodka yep. cocktails perfected. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is amazing. What's what's the song that's that's playing as they're making? You know, is it Geronimo? Is it is it a tr- <laughs> <laughs> is it adrenaline? <laughs> Oh my it's gosh. Like- <laughs> it's bring back my girls, obviously. <laughs> but kind of a creepified version a little bit, you know, with like lightning bolts and things, you know, just kind of just to camp it up a bit. This is amazing. And, uh, then, and then Alyssa Edwards reveals, and it's like, <laughs> they call me mother. Mother. Because <laughs> <sighs> really that's all Elsa Lanchester does is like makes Alyssa Edwards faces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the mirror oh my gosh somebody needs to right now okay one of you out there who's good with like that face swap stuff because that stuff is creepy needs to take Alyssa edwards face and graft it on put it on we got to figure this out and yeah. then that's going to be our new thing is Alyssa edwards as the bride of frankenstein. the bride of frankenstein oh my gosh this is terrible we're we're so academic y'all listen back to us. rolls back rolls that's and that's all she yells she just screams yeah. it back rolls okay so speaking of her majesty the bride mm-hmm, <laughs> her royal hannes uh back to hold on let me find the um so a discussion of just of women in general, uh, obviously, you know, we've got some intense sexual, gender, social, racial, religious conversations happening, obviously. Um, this goes back to the Pop Matters article. Bride Frankenstein presents a transgressive treatment of women. Uh, Henry is portrayed as a man so terrified by female sexuality that his scientific research leads him to an asexual way of reproduction that does not even require a human womb. Um... Blah, blah, blah. Kind of talk a little bit about how, like, Elizabeth, just the framing of the women, they're kind of always at the edge, except Minnie, little Minnie. Oh, we'll have to come back to little Minnie. Uh, but, like, the wife, you know, she's kind of pushed off screen. But when the, the, the bride arrives, the gender politics of the film appear to change towards the finale with the creation of the terrifying bride. Uh, you know, she's powerful, commands attention. Whale allows the bride to take prominence in the frame. And contrary to Elizabeth, she's at the center of the composition with the males in, in more like subservient roles 
you know, compositionally. Uh, but she's monstrous and deformed with grotesquely exaggerated womanly traits, such as her outrageous, outrageous hair and unearthly screams. As a consequence, this creature becomes a Freudian nightmare. She embodies the idea of unleashed female sexuality overpowering patriarchal authority. So, again, just creating this uh, conversation about the homosexual subtext embedded and sort of like the fear of women and, you know, just all of that. I don't know. Thoughts? <laughs> That's a, I mean, it's just... There's a lot going on. I know. There's yeah. a lot. There's a lot in, 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 this, uh, in this whole conversation. We could talk for hours, like, truly about the symbology <laughs> within the Bride of Frankenstein. But I do kind of like that idea that, yeah, they work you know, hard to make this woman. That's what the whole movie's about. We gotta, we gotta make this mate, this friend for this monster you've created. This is your doing. Um, and then when she shows up, yeah, I mean, she's super glamorous again. This is how we, we know this is a gay film. Like, She's got hair, you know, nice big, big, big hair. Super glam. Those fucking eyebrows are incredible. They will slice you to death. That lip. Right. That perfect lip. She's gorgeous. She's beautiful. She is, you know, just serving looks, like you said earlier. (laughs) But, you know, she's she's also terrifying. She's screaming and yelling, and she's not here for their nonsense of like, hey, we made you simply to be with this man. She's like, I'm not here for this. No. Uh, she makes that very clear, uh, which uh, again I like. So this, even though they've tried to create this woman to do their bidding, conceivably, you know, mm-hmm. to 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 be a partner for this man, she's totally rejecting that. She's rejecting uh, them and anything that they want her to have to do with the monster. So again, it's this uh, like uncontrollable female energy that that is sort of part of the horror of the whole conversation around Frankenstein is that like men are terrified of the power of women and of their ability to create. Uh, Finally, I think one last thing that I do think is worthy of talking about is that this film is, does seem confused uh, by about like the gender politics. And again, this could be because of all of the uh, intervention by the studio because mm-hmm. I, I read that there's conflicting reports that like the monster would have killed Elizabeth and then they used her heart to bring the bride to life mm-hmm. that would have been cool right that could have been interesting but instead and uh, again that is con- a, a, con- a conflicting story other people said no that was you know that didn't happen but others say it did so who knows this was what we're I mean we're closer to a hundred years ago of this movie than than not so who knows what actually went on in the writing room or the ideas pitched. But still, we're talking about, obviously, the film, the senti- like the sentimentality of the film, the empathy that we're asked to give, the compassion we're asked to give is to the queer characters. And by queer, I mean the others. You know, yeah. So the monster, you, know, you feel bad for the hermit. His house gets burned down and he's taken off to who knows where. Um you know the bride because again we have another creature being made for whatever purposes that that she didn't ask for so she's of course terrified uh you know and all the other sort of the outsider characters so we're asked to give them compassion but then in the end frankenstein's monster behaving a bit like an incel like if i can't have you like then i'm just not gonna live 
Like, this is stupid. And I'm taking, you're going to die, lady, yeah. for rejecting me. And that queer RuPaul's guy over there, like, she's got to go. Yeah. So we're killing everybody. But we're going to let the man who started all these problems, we're going to let him go live his happily ever after with his wife. So it's like, what is being said? You know, and so again, if I think that that lends a little more credence to the to the fact that like whale wasn't making some big statement about queer people to some extent, because otherwise the monster and the bride could have been happy together or he and the hermit or something. Or was he making the most poignant statement about queer life at the time where the only people that are happy are the cis het white people (laughs) right yeah so making that because the monster says we belong dead and we can kind of throw this into if we're going to give this a queer reading and and say there's queer subtext here then obviously what trope comes up kill your queers you know kill the gays and so the monster's like we belong dead we do not belong part of this society you've made that perfectly clear over 70 minutes of setting me on fire and shooting at me uh, you know, I can't. I wanted to die, right? But you guys were like, "Oh, let's give him a friend." My friend hates me, so. right? Everybody hates me, you know. So there is that sort of like, um, we belong dead. Like, is ugh. this a, um, is this an it gets better moment? <laughs> you know, could we have held his hand and say, "No, don't, don't kill yourself. It gets better. Somebody will find you." You know, we'll find you as somebody. There's a somebody for everybody. But there's nobody there to step in and say that. There's no Dan Savage. <laughs> RuPaul as Praetorius comes out and says, everybody say love. <laughs> dead. We belong dead. Uh, yeah, you know, so again, that it just kind of adds this, when we're talking about like, I think that's a really great point that you're making, actually, that like within the context of the time, this is such a tragic film. And so many people like I'm sure James Whale knew plenty of people who had miserable lives and who lived in the closet and it was awful for. And, um, you know, the again, because like Pretorius and also the guy playing Henry Frankenstein, he also was, I think, bisexual. Mm hmm. Uh, I think that's common knowledge. Yeah. He was giving me a lot of Anthony Perkins vibes. Like he, right? Yeah. And he's so sad because he was like a raging alcoholic. He died like two years after this movie was made. Oh, yeah, I know. It. It's just awful. Like the whole thing. And again, maybe because of like the conditions of living a life unfree. Uh, you know, so maybe there is a conversation happening that whale maybe unintentionally or intentionally is having. Who, you know, mm-hmm. who knows? But at the end of it, you know, you're kind of left with like, well, Fuck, Vic, you know, Henry, I want to say Victor, um, you know, fuck him. This is all of this is his fault. All, uh, you know, 140 minutes of this story, you know, when combined with, uh, you know, the other Frankenstein. And another good lesson that at the end of the day, it is the cishet patriarchy's fault. Right. Yeah. But they get to escape and they get to go, you know, presumably live, you know, happily ever after while the monster burns along with, uh, you know, the bride. Takes care of itself. Right. Yeah. So it's just very... Yeah, it's just it's kind of muddled. I think is how the video uh, that I, I talked I was talking about the Draper video. I I do think that that's a good way to kind of look at it. Um, let's see, <laughs> Hanny, and we're making a woman. <laughs> woman, oh my gosh. Uh, all right. Well, I think. That's pretty much all of my notes that I made. Uh, oh yeah, I did. I just wrote gods and monsters. I want. I guess I wanted to make some kind of point about that, but you did just fine. Um, I think it's on HBO Max. So there you go. Plug for HBO yeah. Max. <laughs> 
Uh, I, you know what? I would love to see like a feud style series made about Jimmy about Wayne. well the making of the Bride of Frankenstein and like oh. the aftermath, kind of like how they did with feud, where it would be like the first four or five episodes are like the writing and the making of the film and then the last you know five episodes deal with the aftermath and everybody's stories in the future mm-hmm. i think it would be super interesting yeah. and a lot of you know because i know they did gods and monsters and that's fine that's allowed to exist i'm not taking it away but i would love to see ryan campy ass motherfucker murphy like do this with Maybe some of the people we've discussed here today, yeah. uh, you know, get little Ian McKellen to yeah. pop in. Uh, and Finn uh, Whitrock will play the Brendan Fraser character. <laughs> well, no, well, maybe, yeah. Well, no, but it, but I see what you mean. It's like we'll get like um, it'll probably be what it'll probably be Zachary Quinto <laughs> as right. James Whale, um, a young James Whale. Yeah, it, that would be really cool. Yeah, I would love to see this. Like yeah. a da- you know, no like more of somebody. this Hollywood bullshit where we're like you know, writing an alternative history of the oddly inclusive Hollywood. Like, yeah, no, I would love to see like the real, you know, somebody do a really good deep dive. There's plenty of books out there uh, about, uh, well, the father of Frankenstein book, which is about James Whale. That's what gods and monsters is based on. Um, see, I knew I had some points to make about that, about that movie, <laughs> about that story. Um, but this time it's not your fault. I didn't tell you before. So it's not your fault. It's not that you stole my thunder. Mm-hmm. Like you, you want to do sometimes. <laughs> I, well, I remember I was going to say, I'm like, he's going to blame me for this. I'm off my, <laughs> damn it. Um, yeah. Well, funny story about gods and monsters. So like, I have no meaningful recollection of ever truly watching the film. Right. What I do remember is being like, you know, a like prepubescent gay boy finding the scenes in Gods and Monsters where Ian McKellen's character as, as James Whale is like painting a shirtless yeah. like Brendan Fraser and thinking like, oh, and then realizing that the name of it is Gods and Monsters. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Which is a quote from, from Bride of Frankenstein. Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. So that brought that, you know, that memory came rushing back to me when um, Pretorius herself was like, that makes God, me so happy. Monsters. Yeah, that's wonderful. But yeah, I think this would make a really cool like mini series that would be actually very relevant today in having those sorts of conversations as, you know, culture is changing and shifting as it was then, you know, with the like yeah. the the haze code and all that kind of and bullshit. You can find all the queer all the queer people to play everybody in yeah. here. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Aubrey absolutely. Plaza could be Katie Nana. Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't that be great? I'm here for it. Yeah. I'm not going to argue. I think that'd be cool for her to play Elsa Lanchester. Oh, my gosh. We're, let's just cast this and take it to Hollywood. We're, yeah. we're, screw it. Let's just do it. Fright School presents. Yeah. Honey. Right. We're making a woman. A woman. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, that was Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, which again, I do. I I I love this movie. It's so fun to revisit today and watch again. Uh, I haven't watched it in a few years. I bought the. I have the uh, Frankenstein set. It's like all the Frankenstein movies. Uh, what from you know from Universal that time in the 30s or 40s or whatever. I think Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein is on it as well. <laughs> uh, so spoiler alert: the monster doesn't die. <laughs> well, of course not. There's son of Frankenstein. Uh. Uh, so of course it's got to get out somehow. 
yeah, there's there are other movies, but as far as like I think James Whale was concerned, because I don't think he did any any of the others, um, and I think Karloff even quit after Son of Frankenstein, but you know, so those two films, that's the story he wanted to tell, and I do think together, if you you know you watch them back to back, it is it's a beautiful you know story, uh, lots to unpack within it, uh, you know, something for everybody which I, I, we tried to cover it. I know we were kind of all over the place, but there is a lot. I mean, there is just yeah. pages and pages and books and books. I didn't even get to all the, like you see all these bookmarks I made. Oh my God. Yeah. There's uh, lots of great conversation in the monster show um, book. That's part of our, uh, you know, our recommended text. And then I also picked up monsters in the closet, homosexuality and the horror film by Ben Schoff, And that has, quite a bit about uh bride of frankenstein so if you want more if you want to read more and explore more dear 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 listener you can do that i recommend it yeah. and joe of course as always i recommend it more reading more reading, reading reading is fun demental all right well thank you so much for listening as always we love you we appreciate the space in your head <laughs> letting us take up some uh, room Rent free, as they Rent say. Rent free. Uh, Joe, thank you. Hope I'm glad that you enjoyed the movie. That makes me so happy. And uh, you know, we're gonna keep. We're gonna have some fun because we're gonna watch some really <laughs> interesting movies with the with the bride thing. Uh, really, we're just kind of having fun with this month. It's mm-hmm. I don't even have like an overarching theme of like what it says about the bride. I guess maybe along the way we'll figure it out. <laughs> but we're gonna watch some really ridiculous movies. I can't. It's gonna wait. be fun. It's gonna be so, so much fun. Alrighty. Well, you have a very very good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.